a blessed day to each and everyone here at our online service. A young man named John received a parrot as a gift. The parrot had a bad attitude and an even worse vocabulary. Every word out of the bird's mouth was rude, obnoxious, and laced with profanity. John tried and tried to change the bird's attitude by consistently saying only polite words, playing soft music, and anything else he could think of to clean up the bird's vocabulary. Finally, John was fed up and he yelled at the parrot. The parrot yelled back. John shook the parrot and the parrot got angrier and even ruder. John, in desperation, threw up his hands, grabbed the bird and put him in the freezer. For a few minutes, the parrot squawked and kicked and screamed. Then suddenly, there was total silence. Not a peep was heard for over a minute. Fearing that he'd hurt the parrot, John quickly opened the door to the freezer. The parrot calmly stepped out onto John's outstretched arm and said, I believe I may have offended you with my rude language and actions. I'm sincerely remorseful for my inappropriate transgressions, and I fully intend to do everything I can to correct my rude and unforgivable behavior. John was stunned at the change in the bird's attitude. As he was about to ask the parrot what had made such a dramatic change in his behavior, the bird continued, May I ask what the chicken did to deserve being frozen to death? Today, we will be looking at Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 11, and discover the mindsets, the attitudes, that we followers of Jesus who have already been changed should have to make us different from the world. Many times we struggle not only with our words, our behavior, our testimony, but also with our pride, our humility, and our obedience to God. Our passage is part of Paul's call for the believers to conduct themselves as people who have been changed by God. And he gives us two mindsets or two attitudes that we are to live out as followers of Jesus. We call these mindsets that should never change. Let us pray. Our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to listen to your word. Calm our hearts and our minds that we may focus fully on you and that our attention as we listen to you will be undivided. Teach us to be humble like our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Speak to us, O Lord, for we, your people, are listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mindsets that should never change. Our mindsets are crucial because it affects not only how we see things, but also how we behave and relate with others. In our study today, we will discover two mindsets that should always be seen in a follower of Jesus based on Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. So if you have your Bibles with you, kindly open to Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. It says, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. 
let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. The first mindset that we are to have as followers of Jesus is this, a mindset of unity through humility. A mindset of unity through humility. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 to 4 says, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. The mindset of unity through humility is based on an understanding that God has already blessed us spiritually. Our passage begins with the word, therefore, which links it to the previous verses where Paul calls the followers of Jesus to conduct themselves in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. What he means by that is, as followers of Jesus, the standards of, for how we are to conduct ourselves should no longer be based on what the culture says or what the world dictates. But rather, it must be in accordance or in line with the gospel of Jesus. Our lives must be, as best as we could, through the help of the Holy Spirit, at par with the gospel of Jesus, because as followers of God, as followers of Jesus, you and I are called to be different. You and I are set apart for God. And how we live our lives must reflect and honor the Christ who lives in us. Paul cites four spiritual realities, factual experiences that are common to all believers. Note that although the word there in your Bibles is if, Paul does not intend to mean the hypothetical if, as in referring to chance, if you win, if you pass the test, if you go to this place, if this happens. But rather, the original Greek word used can be better translated as since, which indicates a factual, actual spiritual benefits that, that have already happened because of our relationship with Christ. Since there is consolation in Christ, since there is comfort of love, since there is fellowship of the Spirit, since there is affection and mercy. These are already present because we belong to Jesus. These four shared and real experiences by every believer is the basis for his call for the body of Christ to live in unity. If you are a follower of Jesus, 
then he says, act accordingly. Paul says, there is consolation in Christ. What is our consolation? Or in other words, encouragement in Christ. With regards to the gospel, are you not encouraged that in Christ, we do not need to work for our salvation? Are you not encouraged that in Christ, our eternity is secured? Are you not encouraged that God, who is most powerful above all, is with us and that we are protected from the powers of darkness and of evil and that no matter how hard life gets, He will never leave us nor forsake us? Not only do we have encouragement in Christ, but we also receive the comfort of His love. What is our comfort? When we realize that the God who created the universe would love us enough that He would send His Son, His only begotten Son for us, that regardless of who we are or what we have done, that He laid down His life for you and I, it brings us comfort. What is more, Paul says that in Christ we also have the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. This is called the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit who stays with us and who will never leave us nor forsake us even during the most difficult time of our lives. And finally, we also have affection and mercy. The love that is present for one another in the body of Christ should also lead us to unity. On the basis of these four spiritual blessings, Paul calls for you and I, followers of Jesus, to live in unity. Why is unity important? If the church is to flourish, if the church is to thrive and to grow and to be effective in its witness, unity in the body of Christ is crucial. External pressures against Christianity or against the church will abound and conflicts from within will destroy not only the ministries of the church but also the public testimony of the church which will make it more difficult to effectively reach, reach out to those who do not yet know Jesus. Paul understands that there can be different attitudes in the body of Christ that will destroy the unity of the church. You can be a Christian and be active in the church and at the same time have a different attitude. I've seen this when I was still studying to be a pastor, how Satan could use a spirit of disunity to destroy the ministries and the members of the church. Sometimes the church splits because people couldn't agree on the color of the carpet or on the color of the church gate. Sometimes they struggle over serving positions in the church. Who should be the leader? Who should be the assistant leader? And it has not only hindered the growth of the church, but also brought about bad taste to the people outside. Unity in the body of Christ is not only important to the Apostle Paul, but it is also important and very close to the heart of our Lord Jesus Christ. So much so that Jesus would actually pray for it in his final prayer, in his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, which says, verse 20 to 22, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us. 
that the world may believe that you sent me, and that the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. How do we embody unity as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ? Paul says in verse 2, Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. The mindset of unity through humility acknowledges that our common purpose is to serve, to honor, and to glorify God together as a body of Christ. These seemingly synonymous phrases and characteristics are the keys to unity, and these should be seen in us, followers of Jesus, in the church. And when it is seen in us, and it is mutual, it would create an environment where unity can flourish. We are called to unity. And how do we do that? Paul says, be like-minded. Or think the same way. He tells us to display a common pattern of thinking, feeling, and acting towards each other. It does not mean that followers of Jesus are to do the same thing, to think exactly the same thoughts, or to act alike, or to look alike, or to even smell alike. In addition, He is not asking us to just accept whatever someone says, regardless of what it is, just so that there is no disagreement. And there is what we call false unity. No. What he is saying is, we ought to have the same mind, the same attitude in how we are to relate with each other. To be loving and respectful in spite and despite of our differences. We can be diverse in our personalities, in our preferences, in our lifestyles, in our likes and dislikes, but at the same time, we can be like-minded in our obedience and in our desire to put Christ above all. Not only are we called to have the same mind, but we are also called to express the same love, the same mutual love for one another. Paul understands that even in the church, there can be believers who are choosy. Choosy with regards to who they will show love and warmth to. Because in reality, even in the church, there are people who are different from us. They are unique that we may see them or consider them unlovable. I know many of us miss going to our services. I miss them too. And one of the things that I miss doing is greeting those who enter our service with a good morning. Oftentimes, it is during those moments that I encounter people who are probably having a bad day. Note that we have greatly improved. This is probably around more than 10 years ago. That sometimes you greet them, good morning, but there is no response. Not even a nod, not even an acknowledgement not even a smile. Good morning, again, no response. That is why sometimes in the church, when you come in, or when they come in, it's good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning, until they acknowledge you and they respond with a smile. This I know is petty and simple. Normally, you'd, you'd just ignore and probably start to feel hate. 
But as followers of Jesus, Paul challenges us to show the same love towards one another. The same love that our Lord Jesus Christ showed to the church. A love for each other that transcends differences and makes it obvious that we are truly followers of Jesus. We are different. John chapter 13, verse 35 says, By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We are to love one another. We are to have the same mind, the same love, also to be in one accord, which means we are to be united in one spirit. Literally speaking, we are to be harmonious, to have the same heart and the same soul for Christ and for other believers. We are called to live in harmony, having the same aspiration, the same eagerness, the same purpose in everything we do, and that is to honor and to glorify God. So much so that when others see this unity in our church and our harmony, our like-mindedness, they would recognize that this church is different because this church chooses to honor and glorify God. You know this, that in our church, it doesn't matter what you do for the Lord, what ministry you serve in, what car you drive, how big your house is, how many zeros there are in your bank accounts, or how nice or how not nice you look. In our church, we all serve for a united purpose, and that is to bring glory and honor to our Lord. Now I know it is easier said than done, so Paul gives us instructions on how this looks like in real life. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, we continue. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. In other words, be humble. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. The mindset of unity through humility knows that selfishness and conceitedness must be eliminated in the body of Christ. Paul sees the reality that even among believers, there are still people who struggle with selfishness or selfish ambition. The original word that was used also carries the idea of having a spirit of rivalry. They want to compete with everyone, even if there is no competition. They always want to prove that they are right and others are wrong. They push or force their own agenda, even at the expense of others. Not only are we to eliminate selfishness, but also conceit. Thinking of ourselves in any way as better than others. Or in other words, we have exaggerated self-evaluation. Paul calls it vainglory, or also empty conceit. Because when you do things for the sake of personal glory, for people to applaud you, you will realize that that pursuit is empty. There is nothing there. It will not provide fulfillment and satisfaction. These two, selfishness and conceit, should have no room in our lives as believers and as a church. I've seen this not only in church and ministries, but also in companies, in businesses, even in families, that work, relationships, and businesses are destroyed 
because there are those who come in with the wrong motive, with selfish attitudes, seeking only for their own personal agendas. I pray that this will never be true in our church because Paul calls us to be different. I want us to notice the contrast that Paul uses in verses 3 and 4. Look with me in your Bible. And he exposes the different attitude that we, followers of Jesus, are supposed to have. We are to do nothing out of selfish ambition or empty conceit, but rather, we are to manifest or to show humility, lowliness of mind, and esteeming others better than ourselves. We are to look out not for our own personal interest, but for the interest of others. That is what Paul calls us to do. A mindset of unity through humility promotes others ahead of one's self. What does this mean? When Paul speaks about humility, you know, we sometimes take it with the wrong concept. Some people think of humility as a weakness in character. That we ought to think less of ourselves, to always put down ourselves, or to self-deprecate to be negative about ourselves and to never accept kind words from others, to think of ourselves as the worst of all. This is not the biblical definition of humility. And this is not what Paul is talking about. I grew up with a wrong notion about humility. I thought that you should not accept kind words or words of compliment and appreciation. So when people would give me words of appreciation and compliments, I'd usually deflect it and just smile. But at the back of my mind, I'd think, yeah, that's true. Thanks for speaking the truth. I feel good. It feels good. Come on, speak some more. What is worse, I thought that it is a sign of weakness to listen, to accept, and to agree on another person's opinions and suggestions. I thought that my opinion should always be followed by everyone and what I want should be what I get. What I think is right is the only right thing or idea for me. And I wouldn't listen to others no matter what they say. Furthermore, I thought that saying sorry and admitting my mistake was also a sign of weakness. That even if I hurt someone, I wouldn't say sorry because I feel I'm better, because he deserves it. And I would just reason out until the issue fades away. I was inconsiderate, and I didn't care about the welfare of others, but focused on my own, what I can get, and how other people can serve my purposes. I was not humble enough to serve others. It was all about me. I was never thoughtful about others. I was selfish until, of course, I grew in my faith and realized that it is not about me, but it is about Christ and His people. This is what Paul is calling on the believers to do. The word humility in the original carries the idea of holding others up, elevating others, and lifting others up. So it is not about myself and it is not even thinking less about myself, but humility is about others. Respecting and honoring and being considerate of others. 
putting their concerns ahead of yours. In the body of Christ, we are called to honor and to respect every human being regardless of their social status, physical looks, their color, race, their work, and their circumstances. In the church and in our lives, there should be no room for hate, for rudeness, for unhealthy competition, for racism, rivalry, jealousy, unkind spirit, malice, ill will, and every form of arrogance, pride, selfish boastings, because these are incompatible with someone who chooses to follow God. There may be people in our church or outside the church who are not like you, not as talented, not as wise, not as disciplined, not as good-looking, not at all. But we are never to look down on them and to think that we are better. That is not what being a follower of Christ is about. In fact, the Bible says God opposes the proud. God never called us to hate others nor to prove to them that we are better or right or to look down on them just because they have a different look, different belief, or different perspective. He never called us to conceit and to arrogance, but rather, He calls us to be humble. He calls us to humility, to be respectful and considerate of others. That, I believe, should be the trademark of our Christianity. Because apart from humility, Unity in the body of Christ will be impossible. In John Dixon's book, there is a story of three young men who hopped on a bus in Detroit in the 1930s and tried to pick a fight with a lone man sitting at the back of the vehicle. They hurled insults at him. He didn't respond. They turned up the heat of the insults. He remained seated and said nothing. Eventually, the stranger stood up. He was bigger than they had estimated from his seated position. So much bigger. They were surprised and shocked to see that he was bigger than them. He reached into his pocket, handed them his business card, and walked off the bus and on his way. As the bus drove on, the young man gathered around the card only to find the words, Joe Lewis, World Heavyweight Boxing Champion. Here is a man of immense power and skill, capable of defending his honor with a single and devastating blow, yet he chooses to forego his status and hold his power under control for others. In this case, for some very fortunate young men. What do we learn from this? It is easier for us to humble ourselves and start respecting and honoring others above our own when you understand your true identity and value and purpose in Christ. Because then and only then will there be no more need for you to constantly struggle and fight for personal significance and clamor for people's recognition and attention because you have understood your position in Christ. To a follower of Jesus, humility 
is not a weakness, but rather, it is an indication of spiritual maturity. And we have no greater example of what it means to be humble than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The second mindset or the second attitude that we are to have as followers of Christ is this, a mindset of our Lord Jesus Christ. The mindset of our Lord Jesus Christ. The second part of Paul's instructions calls us to share in the same attitude of our Lord Jesus who exemplified humility in the highest form. Jesus prayed in Luke chapter 22, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. We see how our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, set aside his own interest and completely obeyed the will of the Father, even at the expense of his own comfort and convenience. He is our greatest model for humility. Jesus Christ, who very God of very God, condescended, willingly lowered himself down from the throne of God in heaven to become a man here on earth, submitting himself to the Father, even if it meant death on the cross. Paul says, let this kind of mindset, the mindset of Christ, be in you. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8 says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. I'd like us to notice a few things regarding the humility of Christ so that we can understand better what is that mindset of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are to imitate. Number one, it is a mindset of selflessness. Verse 6 tells us, Being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Paul makes two important statements on Jesus that reveals this mindset. We see his high identity, his high position from which he condescended, being in the form of God, which refers to his divinity. The original word that was used for form denotes not only the out, outer appearance, but rather it points to the very essence, the unchanging nature of his person, his very character which remains the same forever. What Paul is saying is that Jesus, since the very beginning, is God. He is of the same essence, of the same existence, of the same power as God. And He is equally deserving of all the benefits, the rights, and the privileges that God deserves. All worship, He deserves all praise, he deserves obedience, he deserves loyalty, and that all trust. Paul gives us the idea of the position that Jesus was already in so that we could understand the depth and the greatness of the humility he showed. 
Jesus is God. This truth is all over Scripture. Colossians 1.15, He is the image of the invisible God. Colossians 2, verse 9, For in Him, in Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Isaiah 7.14, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. To begin with, Jesus is God. This is where we see his mindset of selflessness. That though he is God, he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. You know how sometimes, how we humans and some smaller gods would claim and assert to be equal with God or to be the son of God. And we know for sure that it is not true. It's called robbery or stealing or theft. They are getting for themselves a position, a title, and perhaps the privileges that come along with it that is not rightfully theirs. But for Christ, it wouldn't be robbery because it is legitimately His. He is God. He is the rightful owner of the throne of heaven. And yet, He chose not to grab on to His privileges and power but rather made himself of no reputation for the sake of others. I like how the dynamic translation of verse 6 says, He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. I praise God for many in our church who are very selfless, very Christ-like. I remember a few years ago, our church had some challenges with regards to parking. People were coming in and finding parking has become a challenge. When we brought this concern up to our leaders and challenged our congregation, immediately, many of our leaders, our volunteers, our members offered to park their cars farther and said that they were willing to walk even in their Sunday dress even in their high heels. Some intentionally park at the mall or in Banawe and take our shuttle just so that others, newcomers, first-timers, guests, could find parking space easier. A mind of selflessness. Christ's mindset was a mindset of selflessness. Our world tells us that it is all about us or me. But God calls us to be different. The challenge for us is this. Are you willing to set aside your privileges and rights as needed so that others may benefit? Number two, the mindset of Christ is a mindset of servanthood. Look at what Paul says about what Christ did in verse 7. But he made himself of no reputation taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Paul now talks about what we call the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ as the manifestation of His humility. He made Himself of no reputation, or literally, He emptied Himself. This passage is actually a point of controversy and debate throughout the years. And the question is, what did Jesus empty himself of? 
We have to be very careful in understanding this. Some say that when Jesus became man, He let go of His deity and divinity. Some even say that when He became man, He became susceptible to error and even to sin. This is nowhere to be found in our passage or in the Bible. Never was it mentioned that He emptied Himself of the divine attributes, nor did He exchange His divinity with humility. When Jesus came to earth, we know from the Gospel accounts that He never decreased His divinity. He remained fully God and fully man at the same time. In His 33 years here on earth, we see clearly from biblical accounts, manifestations, evidences of His divine attributes and characteristics and abilities and powers on full display. So when Paul says in verse 7 that He emptied Himself, the words that followed will help elaborate what He meant by it. Jesus chose to take on the form of a bond servant, coming in the likeness of man. Rather than to enjoy the benefits and the privileges that were His in heaven, He humbled Himself, He took on the form of a man, He got a white towel and put it on His shoulders and started serving. The original word also carries the idea that it was not forced upon Him, but rather His actions were done voluntarily. He voluntarily denied himself of the advantages of his position and chose to lower himself down, subjecting himself to human limitations like getting hungry, thirsty, tired, and experiencing pain and yet without sin. He humbled himself so that he could serve for the benefit of others. Mark chapter 10 verse 45 speaks of this. For even the Son of Man, Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Christ's mindset was a mindset of servanthood. Our world tells us today that we are to lord it over others and that we are to be served. But God calls us to be different. The challenge for us is this. Are you willing to serve for the sake of others? Number three, the mindset of Christ is a mindset of sacrifice. Verse eight, and being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross. Paul continues to uncover the mindset of Jesus Christ that we are to imitate. He points out the extent and the depth of the sacrifice that Christ was willing to go through as He places our interest ahead of Himself, even to the point of laying down His own life for the sake of others. He humbled Himself, or in other words, He lowered Himself, and He regarded us more significant than Himself. So much so that He became obedient to the will of the Father at the expense of His own comfort, even if it meant the most shameful way of execution, a brutal death, 
death, I would say, without dignity. One that is reserved for criminals. One that hanged him on the tree. The death of the cross. Paul tells us, if you want to know what putting others first looks like, then look at Jesus. Look at the cross. He was willing to die so that you and I might receive eternal life. Romans chapter 5, verse 19 speaks of this. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So also, by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Ephesians chapter 1 says, In Him, in our Lord Jesus Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of His grace. We are tremendously blessed because someone had the mindset of sacrifice and he was willing to lay down his life for the sake of others. The challenge for us as followers of Jesus, are you willing to make sacrifices financially, in terms of time, in terms of doing something, in terms of serving for the sake of others? The mindset of Christ is a mindset of selflessness, of servanthood, and of sacrifice. And Paul challenges us to have the same mindset. Paul continues his challenge to the believers as he reveals how God responded and rewarded Christ because of his humility. God's reward for Christ's humility is exaltation. And the result of Christ's humility is God's glory. Verse 9, Therefore, God also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and that of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Paul makes one last reminder as he calls for followers of Jesus to humility. He tells them that God's response to the selfless humility and the obedience of Christ is exaltation. God will elevate Christ above all. He will be super exalted to the highest position. This exaltation leads to a grand, a universal worship of the person of our Lord Jesus Christ who will be honored and rightfully acknowledge as the highest, the greatest, the matchless Lord of all. All creatures in heaven and on earth will bow down and bend the knee in full recognition of His Lordship and authority. And everyone will proclaim with their voices that Jesus is Master and Lord over all. In the end, Christ, who humbled Himself, will be exalted above all. God rewards humility with exaltation, and when we put others ahead of our own, the result is God's glory. Luke chapter 14, verse 11 speaks of this, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. If there's one lesson I'd like us to remember from Philippians chapter 2, 1 to 11, it is this. 
Our Christ-like maturity is seen when we value and honor others ahead of our own. I remember one Sunday here at our church, probably around 9 to 10 years ago. It was a normal Sunday, I would say, and everything seemed to be doing well. But I didn't know that that Sunday morning that I would be catching an important lesson that I will remember for the rest of my life. That Sunday morning at around 10 a.m., a 70-year-old elderly man who was by himself slept on a muddy street as he was on his way to our church. And he injured his arm. Back then, we didn't have a quick response medical team. And so with the help of doctors who were there during that time, and a deacon who helped wash and clean him off the mud, we were able to give him first aid. But since his arm was injured and his bones were brittle, he had to be brought to the hospital immediately. It was a Sunday morning, and as you know, Sunday is usually our busiest day at the church, but it was also an emergency situation. And someone had to assist the man to the hospital until his relatives arrive. And so I went with him. I think Joyce also went with us together with the church driver. And then Pastor Stephen also went to the hospital after he spoke at the services. After a few hours in the hospital, when everything was settled and the patient has been attended to already by the doctor, and the caretaker is already present to look after him and his needs. And we have prayed for him. I was about to go home at around 4 p.m. From the hospital, it will take a 30-minute jeepney ride on a fast-moving traffic to reach our house. Our house was around 11 kilometers away. I was happy to serve, of course. And as I was about to say goodbye to everyone, I heard these words from my boss, our senior pastor. He said to me, I'll drive you home. Now when I heard those words, I was shocked. And you can imagine my world turned into a slow motion. It was my first time to hear such offer. And questions started to float into my mind. Why? Does he want to make sure that I go home directly? Or I was thinking, isn't he tired? He spoke four messages. I'm sure he hasn't eaten his lunch yet, and he should be resting on Sunday afternoons. Isn't he the big boss, and I am the servant? So it should be the other way around. I should be the one serving him. It was so unnatural, and I would say it was so different. I was so shocked. So politely, I said, No need na. Thanks, Boksu. And he said, No, I'll drive you home. And so I obliged. And he willingly drove me home that afternoon. That day, I saw and understood what it meant to be humble and to put others ahead of yourself. I realized and I said to myself, if my senior pastor could humble himself and serve others at the expense of his own comfort and convenience, why can't I? 
Friends, if Christ, who is Lord of all and Lord above all, could humble Himself and serve others at the expense of His own comfort and convenience, why can't we? May the example of Christ be our challenge as we humble ourselves and value and serve others ahead of our own. Let us pray. Our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we have heard your voice clearly. Thank you for giving us your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, our greatest model for humility. Empower us to walk in the same manner that we may reflect and honor our Lord Jesus Christ through our lives. In our church, in our work, in our school, in our interaction, allow us to value, to honor, to respect, and to serve others ahead of our own. We thank you. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.